Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Amit, who is Chief Product and Risk Officer for SPOT, um, and one of the co-founders as well, I believe. I've got to put that co-founder title in as well. Um, yeah, good. Uh, Amit, um, where are we speaking to you from? Because we were just talking about travelling, and I, I, I sort of came in at the tail end of that conversation. Uh, are, you, are you at home now? If, if so, where's home? And um, yeah, where are we speaking to you from? Yeah, so currently I'm home. Uh, home is Tel Aviv for me. Uh, and I just came back from a Money 2020 event in uh, Vegas. Yes, which uh, I believe has, has made you unwell, which... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, you 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 caught the you caught the COVID again. Uh, yes. it, is it your first time round, or is it your your second or third or whatever? <laughs> first time, first time, first time. Oh well, <laughs> I'm sort of glad to share it with you. I don't know. Um, I don't know, but thank you very much. I did want to say thank you for sticking to this. So I say I wouldn't have held it against you if you'd rescheduled. <laughs> um, but COVID has got too much airtime, uh, and so let's 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 kind of move on from there. Otherwise, other than I'm very happy to see that you're much better um amit please it'd be lovely to hear about uh the spot business uh, and obviously you know your, your role within it but um particularly what is what is it spot exactly does yeah thank you alex um and first pleasure to be here um so at spot we do insurance for e-commerce businesses um we started looking into this domain of e-commerce about two years ago uh we understood that there is a huge gap in what e-commerce businesses get today in terms of insurance and uh, slowly but surely starting to close uh, this gap, creating new products for e-commerce businesses and innovating in different uh, domains. Um, as, for, as for myself, like you said, I lead uh, the product department at Spot and also as a co-founder, do a lot of uh, other things uh, involved in the company. Mm. Yeah, I love that. It's the co-founder title, such a kind of catch-all. Um, but and that's why I always think it's important because I think everyone has their roles, particularly on co-founders, and you tend to kind of gravitate towards your natural areas of expertise. Um, but you can't just wear one hat, right? You're, you're, it's not that's not startup world. You have to kind of just do. It's the kind of do or die thing, which which is what I love about startups. Because um, yeah, did you find that with the team? Did you kind of all naturally know where you were going to have your roles? And then there's there, there's those things that fall in the middle that no one really wants to take. <laughs> so I think that I, I'm very lucky uh, to be working with uh, very good co-founders and, and team. Mm -hmm. uh, and in many cases, we actually fight over who's going to take more responsibilities, right? Uh, because we just want to make sure that we get things right. Uh, so it's a lot of fun working with uh, these kind of partners. Uh, before Spot, I worked only at large organizations. Uh, the last one was PayPal. Um, and in larger organizations, you usually see like one domain of expertise per person maximum. And as a co-founder, all of a sudden you have to do like 10 different things, marketing and sales and uh, model, remodeling of the office, for example, stuff like that. Uh, and that's that's a huge part of, of the fun of being in a startup. I wanted to talk to you about that though. Like the, the, there's quite a few questions around this because I find this fascinating. It's, and there's, there's, there's a lot in here for me because, you know, one, obviously PayPal is not an insure tech or insurance business. Um, yeah, it's a very large organization, lots of kind of um, 
and I, I haven't worked at a big organization for a very long time. I, I used to work for RSA um, and I used to work for Hayes, which is a very large recruitment business, but, but for that's, God, you're going back at least a decade for that. So um, how was that transition? How did you find that kind of shift um, in going from the kind of very large world of, of kind of PayPal and then going into a sort of startup environment? You know, how did you, you've obviously got this thing about kind of like niche specialisms and then wearing multiple hats, but what are the kind of other things that are sort of diff? Well, I don't know if it's different yeah. or positive or invigorating or, or negatives. Uh, I'm sort of really intrigued about, because that's such a cultural shift. Oh, it is. It is. Um, I think there are a lot of good and bad things uh, that happens with this transition. First, it takes time to understand that you don't need to ask permission from anyone. Uh, at PayPal, there is a lot of hierarchy yeah. and you need to get some VP's approval to do whatever. And at a startup, you just need to go and do it. And it takes some time to, to adjust to that. Uh, and that's also like the positive side, right? You can basically do whatever you think is right and you don't need to wait for uh, any chain of command to, to approve anything. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, and I think it's also relevant to, to insurance, uh, at PayPal, for example, there, there is a long history of doing certain things. For example, working with data. And this is the area that I, I come from or doing releases. Uh, and in many cases, you don't appreciate how nuanced and how complex things can be built over a long period of time. And when you need to build them from scratch, it's on one hand, really challenging because you need to invent, invent everything, like, like I said, from scratch. Mm -hmm. But on, on the other hand, it's very freeing, I would say, because, okay, you can scratch all the legacy and try to build something better, something new. So mm -hmm. I think moving from a larger organization to a small one, you have a lot of freedom, but it comes sometimes without constraints that are in many cases helpful, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a load, load of sense. And one thing I'm really conscious of is that particularly, this particularly happens in SaaS and not, this is not insure tech specific, but I would say technology led businesses particularly if they're venture-backed, there's the chance to grow from a small business or a very large business very, very quickly. And I don't know if you have an insight into this yet because obviously working for a very large, but it was always, you know, PayPal was very large when you joined it, presumably, and then, and then you've got, you're a small business now. But what I find interesting is watching those businesses, you think about the larger insure techs, there's always a tipping point where the advantages of being a small, nimble company get lost because you get scale. So you already start to look at, let's say some of the insure techs that have been super successful over the last five years, there's already conversations and what I'm hearing is that there's already tech debt there. There's already kind of issues with kind of being nimble. I don't know, what do you, I, I suppose I was trying to get your opinion on how do you kind of look ahead to that and kind of take in account for that to not lose that innovation the sort of innovation the nimbleness is is there anything you think you can do i appreciate it's a very difficult question to answer we'd both be rich men if you can answer this well i think <laughs> yeah uh i i think there is there is a balance you need to keep between short-term thinking and long-term thinking especially mm -hmm. if you think about the technology uh behind the things so the more you're focused on short-term uh results 
the less you'll, you'll have the flexibility later to uh, adapt without tech debt. Uh, mm -hmm. But the more you, you build something that's tailored for the solution that you're trying or for, for the problem that you're trying to solve at the moment, uh, the more tech that, that you will have in the future. Uh, we are constantly trying to keep this balance and see, okay, are what we're building solving only what we are trying to solve today? Or will it also help us in the problems that we think we'll encounter in one year, two years, five years from now? Mm -hmm. uh, at a certain point, you're right, you're trying to get from getting to some distribution, hopefully making it explode in terms of customers to turn it into operationally uh, excellent. Um, and we're trying to see how from day one, we'll be able to flip the switch and turn uh, into something slightly different. That's very efficient uh, and the technology supports it. So I think that keeping this balance is really important, really challenging. Uh, because Sometimes it, it might look like a waste of time, right? Uh, you're trying to solve today's problem, not necessarily tomorrow's problem, uh, but you always have to keep it in mind. And I suppose it's that sort of balance as well as uh, from the point of view of, um, you know, let's be honest, the culture of venture-backed businesses, for example, the last 12 to 18 months, we've gone from grow at all costs to go straight to profitability, right? That's 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 yeah. been, been a real shift in dynamic. And when you're talking about going straight for profitability, that means you do have to focus on shorter term goals. So it, you might have this really grand North Star, which is something to aim at over time that is the long term future of the business. But you might have to compromise that. And I suppose it's that balancing act of how much you're prepared, how much you can compromise and still head towards that kind of goal, that big goal in the future. Um, so I suppose yeah, yeah. one thing that I'm really conscious of yeah, how much do you think funding has a part to play and the type of funding you have on how achievable it is to kind of maintain that kind of innovation culture? Yeah, so I, I think that it's really important to, to have the right investors at mm. your side. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, when you think about what kind of assets you can have as a company, um, it should be around your underwriting capabilities if that's what you're trying to do and how you keep the loss ratio low uh, and building around that. And it should be around distribution efficiency. And can you build, for example, an embedded solution like we're trying to build mm -hmm. uh, and distribute it? And it's around operations, right? So these are the, the main three factors that will, at the end of the day, impact your, uh, your costs. Um, and when we are talking about profitability, it's more about, to, with our investors, it's more about the path to profitability. You say, okay, once I hit a certain distribution goal, once I have enough customers, does my infrastructure support efficient um, retention of customers, efficient handling of customers, mm -hmm. uh, reasonable loss ratio, et cetera. So, I think that profitability, especially at this point, profitability has to be top of mind, but it doesn't have to come from day one. It's, it's still not how uh, VCs work, fortunately. Yeah. Mm. And, that, and yeah, it's, that's why I think it's so interesting when I see, you know, when you look at the funding and you see where the funding comes from, and let's say it's an insurance focused yeah. fund, um i always feel a bit more comfortable you know i'm like they understand that there's nuance to the business you know the industry and the business and 
Uh, and, and it's the same with any other sector. You know, insurance is not unique. It's just, and, and, and I don't believe that you have to have investors that purely come from that world, but they have to have an edge into that market because there has to be an understanding of the, the, the everyone has to agree to the timeline, basically. That's the thing. It's like everyone's on board with the timeline. Um, I want to take you back to the start. So the decision to start Spot, because as you say, you're a head of data intelligence at PayPal. It's a very big job. It's a very, it's a very I would imagine, quite a comfortable job in an established company. So where's that decision come from to, to start Spot? And specifically, why was this the opportunity that was interesting to you? Uh, during my time in PayPal, I got to work with many e-commerce businesses. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of PayPal's uh, customer base. Uh, and during the conversations with these customers and during just understanding the market, uh, there were many inefficiencies that they were there in many financial aspects, by the way, of these businesses, not, not only insurance. Um, but it was quite apparent that there is a big opportunity there. And when COVID started and e-commerce just boomed, it was quite clear that this is a good opportunity to build something around that. Um, and that's, that's what we did uh, two years ago. Uh, first, by learning very, very deep what e-commerce businesses are and what does it look like and what is the day-to-day -day of an Amazon seller or of a Shopify seller? What do they need? Uh, and then trying to figure out what kind of a solution they need. Um, and the solution that we went with is insurance uh, and specifically uh, liability insurance. Um, yeah. Um, I think that the, the story behind liability insurance is, is also interesting. Uh, on September last year, Amazon announced that if you're selling on Amazon, you must have liability insurance in place. Um, courts in the US started ruling that Amazon is liable for everything that's being sold on Amazon. Um, and when that happened, they said, okay, I understand. Now sell as a third-party seller on my platform. I must be listed as an additional insured. Otherwise, you will not be able to sell. Um, and we understood that this is just the beginning of, the, of this trend, right? It, it only makes sense for all marketplaces to do the same way. By the way, uh, Wayfair, Walmart do the same from day one. And it just makes sense that all the other marketplaces and maybe also platforms uh, will follow suit. Uh, and we identified this opportunity and decided to double down on liability insurance uh, and create a solution specifically for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it sort of plays into your hands nicely with the kind of like passing of the legal issues. Um, I, I was going to say with Amazon sellers, so you're specifically building this for different scales of business, or like, or yeah, micro. Is it is it from anything from a very small seller up to the kind of much more kind of established? Because um, it's been a fascinating space, like Amazon sort of sellers. You know, seeing the um, consolidation, people are going around buying. You know pretty big businesses built all on the Amazon e e ecosystem. So does your solution um, work for all, all sizes and scales of those businesses? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we are leveraging technology in a very interesting way, I think, mm -hmm. in a way that basically takes your online store. It can be, by the way, on Amazon, on Shopify, on Walmart, on any other platform. Uh, analyzes exactly what you do and what you sell and then ensures you based on that. So it can be, if you're selling only, I'll, I'll give you a, an example, only only scarves, yeah. 
And okay, you probably should only have like minimal product liability insurance. Depends if you have also kind of facility, then you'll have property insurance, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're selling, selling something that's way riskier, kitchen knives, for example, or toys or cosmetics, okay, then it's a different different story, right? It's not that you're an Amazon seller. You're selling something very, very specific uh, and, and you're selling it through a specific channel, which is Amazon or Shopify or or whatnot. But as this business, you, you well, as a different business owner or uh, if you have different business, then you'll need different kind of insurance. Mm. How does the... Um... And they, how does the secret sauce work from that? Because that's one of the things that insurance historically has really struggled with categorization of businesses um, it has been quite difficult. People have found that really hard. So you're going down to categorization of product mm -hmm. that, that this person sells and then, and then giving it a risk rating. And presumably certain people sell multiples of that. So um, this, this, this may be a, I hope this isn't a stupid question, but how does that work? Yeah, but on a practical on a practical level, how, how does that how does that work? Yeah, uh, no, it's a great question, and it's one that we we've been working on in the in the last two years. Um, so when a customer comes to us in real time, we get the information about his store. We ask for the store URL or connection to the store. Um, if the customer connects or allows us to connect to the store via API, we also have additional capabilities that we uh, add to the customer. Uh, I'll give you an example in, in, in a second. Uh, once that happens, we know exactly what is being sold on the store, how much of it, et cetera. Um, we take this information and we, we basically broke down the e-commerce world into 40,000, 40,000 uh, different categories. And then we map each and every customer to all the different categories that he sells in. And also uh, what percentage of his sales are coming from which category. Um, then we work with our insurance partners, insurance carriers. Uh, and together with them, we developed special methodology where they can consume our data and wow. issue a policy in real time for the customers based on what exactly they're sending. So the effort here actually took, took part on two, on two aspects. One, creating like really good user experience where they don't need to answer a lot of questions, just a story URL, that's it. And on the other hand, very deep relationships with carriers that allows them to get very good granularity of uh, data and uh, issue a policy based based on that. Nice, nice. And, and so just on that, how is the spot business structured at the moment? Are you, uh, you an MGA, digital MGA, or, or are you effectively broking the, 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 the business at the moment? So currently in the US, we are uh, broking the business. Yeah, yeah, fine. Is the, is the plan to be an MGA? Is that is that? Uh... Uh, maybe, maybe at some point. Uh, yeah. Not at the moment. No, fine. Interesting. And and so the team, I've always fascinated about teams. I, I mean, I work in the talent business, so that's always kind of a thing for me. But how did the team come together? Had you all worked together before? Is it, yeah, how, how do you all know each other? Uh, so we all came from the same uh, elite unit in the IDF. Uh, yeah. uh, and most of the, the initial team came from that, that network uh, as well. Uh, so we, we were actually introduced. The three co-founders were introduced by uh, by our uh, the, by the VC that uh, that uh, funded us. Uh, wow. So th they made it, the introductions, and we took it from there. But the initial team building was from our 
internal network. Uh, yeah. I, I love the idea of the BC. The thing that popped into my head is like it's like a manufactured pop band for the insure tech world. You know, <laughs> they're like, oh, you're all good, talented people. You should work together. But um, that's great. I think that. Um, that elite unit is responsible for about half of the uh, insure tech related businesses we talk to. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah. um, it's a pretty, it's the same pretty one. yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got a pretty good legacy in insure tech alone. Um, oh, that's great. And, and so you get introduced, how long is the period of time between, you know, getting to sort of in a room together and then launching spot and saying, right, this is, this is the thing that we're going to go after. So I think that the focus on e-commerce came from day one. Uh, exploring the domain, explore, exploring the different opportunities there another six months, mm-hmm. maybe even less, like small POCs, trying all kinds of stuff. Uh, and I think that within six months, we knew that this is what, what we're going to, to build. Uh, yeah. And from there on, this is this is what we did. So. Yeah. And what, what were the, some of the other avenues you explored outside of offering insurance? Were there... So one of the biggest assets that we built is internal data collection and analysis uh, platform. Um, And when you think about it, the data that you use for insurance can be used for other venues as well. Lending is the most obvious one, uh, but other as well. So we thought about different financial applications for e-commerce businesses. The main two competitors, I would say, were lending and and insurance. And we decided to go uh, with insurance. Um, Somewhere in between, we thought about also SaaS, right? Uh, E-commerce businesses, they have a lot of SaaS needs as well. Um, Information about their competitors, information about trends in the market, about things that are happening in other market marketplaces, et cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, everything uh, boiled into insurance. Yeah, yeah, no. Is that because it's a bit more, I think with, um, if you think about things like trends and, and, and competitive analysis and competitive information, there's, a, there's very, and I know it's not just Amazon, just online e-commerce. There's, there's a, there's a, in e-commerce, there's a very diverse range of, what am I trying to say? Um, not skill, um, maturity of business, um, and, and not just mat- even maturity, just kind of um, professionalism within those businesses. So your sophistication, that's the word I'm looking for. There's different levels of sophistication between e-commerce businesses. So but the needs of kind of liability insurance are ubiquitous. Like every, everyone has to have it because the platforms have said you have to have it. And if they haven't, it's coming. Um, is that why sort of insurance got the nod? It, it, other, other things would have had different values, different businesses. That, that's one reason I think. And by, by the way, e-commerce is changing. Um, three, four years ago, is it was side hustle for many people, mm-hmm. uh, but the industry is starting to mature and you see more and more like really professional businesses um, that that start to build big brands on Amazon, uh, on other platforms as well. About two and a half years ago, three years ago, there was a big trend around the uh, aggregators. So mm-hmm. these were companies that raised a lot of money to buy Amazon brands. And that drove a lot of talent also into e-commerce. Um, 
into e-commerce in general and Amazon specifically. Uh, and you see more and more business owners take their business very seriously. Uh, and, and for us, knowing that and knowing that today almost none of them have insurance uh, just seemed like a really good, really good opportunity. And also, I didn't mention it, by, but my co-founder came from the insurance world. And he knew the gap between what carriers have today and what we can actually bring to the table for them. So mm -hmm. that was almost a straightforward uh, opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's fascinating. Well, there's a friend of mine that does, um, his thing is getting you listed higher on Amazon. That's his whole job. Um, and then, yeah, one of my other friends is a finance director for a company which exclusively sells on Amazon. And um the turnover is staggering and, and you just you just think it's it's wildly sophisticated some of these sellers and um yeah i i remember looking at it as a side hustle and then and then i was thinking this is a lot more complicated than oh, people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's especially now because the competition is so vast yeah but, but but you know this is such a great ground for innovation uh for us as well mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give an example uh one of the products that we're going to launch in the next few weeks is called pay as you sell yeah. Um, is when e-commerce businesses do some kind of a deal, it's a revenue share deal. So it's usually heavily tied with their revenues. You can think about advertising. You can think about other aspects of the business. It's heavily tied with the actual income of the business. Um, when you think about the insurance, this is usually not the case, right? You need to pay a policy upfront or maybe in installments, and that's it. Uh, and one of the things that we understood during our actually work with e-commerce businesses is the fact that they need a product that's, that speaks in their language, that's more correlated to their revenues. And that's why we're launching pay as you sell. So you'll only pay for the products that you sell and you pay for them specifically, uh, instead of just paying like one time payment or just by yearly policy. So, uh, and I think it's just, you know, the tip of the iceberg. So many room for innovation in features, in products, in just even like interactions with, with this specific market. Mm. It's it's such a good demonstration of like getting closer to the customer, which is what insurance is, you know, let's be honest, in this, particularly in this small SMB or SME, depending on where you're based, you know, uh, business segment, I do think there's there's a real gap between what the customer needs and wants versus what what insurance has historically been selling. Um, and it's not that's not saying that insurance hasn't offered the coverage. It's just you know fit for purpose, and that's a perfect example. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about you specifically with your product hat on. Is that is that why? Is that why it's so important to get close to the customer? Like, like I, I presume a lot of kind of like your products role is is just being really close to those e-commerce businesses yeah that's that's absolutely correct um and it's fascinating right it's fascinating because it's an industry that doesn't have a lot of history mm -hmm. um and they don't just do things because that's the way it's being done uh they're actually looking for new solutions they are constantly saying why don't i have this or that and uh just by talking to the customers 
we learned so much. Um, by the way, uh, like I said in, in the beginning, I'm located in Israel. We have a very vibrant community here uh, as well of people selling on Amazon, on Shopify. Um, we're talking to customers in the States, in other places. It's really interesting because each and every country has a different experience in terms of what e-commerce even means, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how they do it. So uh, I think it's a very interesting community. Uh, a very demanding community also. They have high expectations from certain services. Uh, so that's why talking to the customers constantly is super important for me. Yeah. And I was going to ask you about product. because So we do quite a lot of work in product from the recruitment perspective. And, and, and one thing we're always careful of, particularly in SureTech world, when we say product, we're going, right, what do we mean by product? So, yeah, because product in insurance is... In InsureTech could be the software, the interface, the, the kind of interaction with, with your technology. And then, of course, the other side of it is the insurance product. Um, where does your role kind of start and end, or is it both? And when you're building the insurance side of the product as a business, how do you do that when you're dealing in a, in a broker perspective? Do, do you come up with an insurable product and then have to go and sell it to, as, a, as an idea to all these different carriers? How does, how does that dynamic work? Um, so first on the customer side, this is obviously the bread and butter of, of what we do. The user experience, also turning it into an embeddable experience that you can uh, embed within partner platforms. Um, so that's obviously falls under uh, the classic product work. Yeah. Uh, on the insurance side, we realized that at least in the beginning, our or at this point, our core capabilities are around data, are around data science. Uh, So we built these relationships with the carriers in a way that allows them to work with us efficiently and benefit from working with us. Uh, And that means that on the product side, we invest a lot of time in making the data accessible to data carriers in a way that's easy for them. Uh, Also in educating them in many cases. Uh, For example, we built an internal um, risk model Mm -hmm. that takes all these 40,000 different categories and assigns a risk score to each and every one of them. And now when we work with carriers, sorry, in some cases, we even negotiate about a certain, like what what is the actual risk of a certain category, right? Mm -hmm. Again, another example, cycling might be, dangerous category generally speaking but within cycling you have a lot of subcategories that are not risky like hydration bags or gloves or a lot of accessories that are not related to the actual cycling and in many cases the work that we do with the carers is to look at these categories leverage our risk models and say okay how can together we can price these policies better? How can we make better risk decisions? So today we invest less on the actual insurance product itself and more on the enablement of like better insurance and on how to provide it to the customer better. Like for example, not only the UX, but also like pay as you sell. How, how do we create better payment terms? How do we create better overall experience, not just user experience? So. Mm. That's really interesting, particularly on that insurance piece, I think about the enablement and, and what, what I've seen as a, a massive trend of successful businesses in InsureTech in the last kind of, I'd probably say like two years, but 18 months is, is that attitude of, and this, 
having an insurance co-founder, I think is a massive advantage here is, is working with it, carriers and, you know, working with the industry. Whereas I think five years ago, the whole attitude was like, you know, oh, it's all broken and insurance doesn't know what it's doing. And you know, yeah, insurance, insurance the, the, the carriers that I know and working with, and we work with a few on like building innovation teams is they are thirsty for this knowledge. They know that there's people that are better with data but they want to work with you so it's like right okay bring us that data well let's have a look at that and you know that makes perfect sense you're like cycling if you're going to use a rudimentary metric would go oh it's risky but then you break that down and obviously that's a that's a perfect example so um i'm fascinated by that when it comes to the customers um obviously some of this is kind of mandated by law so the legislation came out amazon is liable so they're going to pass that on and we need to be co-insured how much of an education piece is there when you're selling into maybe people that are on different e-commerce platforms? Is there a level of awareness there? Um, or is there still sort of an education piece to do that people need insurance? Because you, you said there's a big gap between the amount of people that need it and haven't got it and, and those that are buying it. Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. Uh, we started thinking that, that there will be a lot of education in it. And we were actually quite surprised that people, mostly in the in the US, I would say, um, they they wanted insurance even if they they were not re required to do that. Uh, I'll give an example. We 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 tried like SEM campaign of e-commerce insurance, yeah, and we got like customers from all the different platforms, including. Shopify and Wix and WooCommerce customers were not required to have insurance at all, but they were still looking for it. And when we talked to them, they said, "Yes, I'm a business. I need insurance, right?" Um, so I, I think they're, like I said, the industry is maturing. Um, I think we're not there yet. Obviously, there is still a lot of education to be done, but I think that slowly we're getting there. So, because people are taking their business very seriously, it's not a side hustle anymore. And as part of that, they understand that, okay, I need to also take care of insurance. And um, that's something that's just need to be done. Yeah. Um, so my understanding is you, you, guys, you launched in November 2020. Is that, is that right? Is that, that sort of... So we had a soft launch in Israel on January, soft launch in the US, in, in the US and uh, on May, uh, starting started really uh, working with customers or started advertising and uh, launching properly, I would say. Yeah. So how did did COVID have an impact on your development journey? Um, because, you know, presumably everyone went online. A lot of people, as you say, diving into the sector. Um, yeah. Has that, was that sort of good timing or I, I, I don't know really that in terms of impact? Um, I feel like I've talked about this too much, but when you talk about online, online based businesses, you go, it has to have kind of really kicked things off. So I think that there were two aspects to that. Uh, one is on our customers and the other one is actually on the team itself. Mm -hmm. um, building or having a startup, just building a product together and then COVID hits and you were, everyone works from home all of a sudden. Uh, that was a challenge as well. Uh, in terms of our customers, I think COVID pumped into the ecosystem a lot of new uh, customers or new e-commerce businesses. Uh, but I don't think that it's fundamentally changed like the business types or changed who these businesses are. 
from day one, these were almost digital digital nomads or uh, these type of of people who wanted to be independent, who wanted to work online, and we just saw an acceleration of people moving to that direction. So mm-hmm. we saw more customers, but the customer mix didn't really change. In terms of the team, uh, I think it created new. It required us to find new ways to work together and efficient ways to work together and to be more independent and have better um, better aspects of our work done separately than together. Uh, so that was challenging. Hopefully it's behind us now. We, we are back to five days from the office. Uh, uh, so hopefully that, that will stay with us. Yeah, we've done the same and, 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 and... You know, like I work from home for a long time and, and I there's massive advantages of it. Um, in fact, I was moaning that sometimes I don't get as much work done because there's kind of like a lot of activity in the office and it's kind of getting used to sort of being in the office together is, is actually quite challenging from a, you know, when you know that sort of period of time when you used to concentrate really like, you know, very focused at home. But now we've gone back, I, I wouldn't swap it for the world because I think when you're, you know, we're a small business and we're trying to grow and there's there's an energy to that and there's an excitement to that, that I think that's, I think it's really important. Um, and that's, we're not building products. We're not, well, we are building some products, but that's kind of a story for another day. But really we're a recruitment business. That's what we do. It's quite, it's quite a linear business. Everyone understands what they're doing within it. But when you're trying to get together and build products and have innovation and ideas, how important do you think it is to be in that face-to-face office environment? So important. Um, sometimes the best ideas come from debates, right? Uh, even if you have the best idea in mind, you you must have some kind of a bouncing wall. You must mm. hash it with someone mm. who, who will tell you, no, this part of the idea is stupid, but this part is great. Let's double down on that. Yeah. Uh, in Israel, we are very blunt. Uh, very, very straightforward. So people will very easily say, this part is very stupid and, and it's good, right? Uh, and I think that when you do it over Zoom or over mail or, or Slack, it kind of loses the edge of the the real intuition or like, it, it kind of misses the point sometimes. Uh, yeah. yeah, so... Yeah. I, I find that, that that bluntness is very difficult to do written down as well, because even yeah. if there's being blunt, you could, you and I could have a really honest, blunt conversation. You go, Alex, I'm not happy with this, but I think that's great. And face to face, I wouldn't take that personally. I think when you write it down, it, it just looks yeah. I don't know, it just looks more mean and you go, oh, that's, you didn't need to say that. It's almost like you shouldn't write down the negative things. So I, th- I think there's there's a lot in that. But uh, the speed as well, I think identifying the wrong thing in startup businesses is is almost more important than the right thing it's just like right no that and that's where those experienced people come in and you go well that's a waste of time why because we've done that before and it didn't work um so it's fascinating i'm I'm really conscious of time so i I kind of i I had a myriad of questions i wanted to ask you but i I really want to talk about the future so we talked about the kind of foundation of the business where are you today give me a kind of bit of a overview of you know what's the business in terms of kind of scale and, and size in terms of people and, and what is, you know, sadly we're approaching the end of 2022. Uh, although in the UK, I'm not that sad to see it go. It can, <laughs> it can go to eternity, but you know, what's, what's happening for you as we turn into the new year, what can we look forward to? Is it, is it different products? Is it different kind of partners? Uh, yeah. What's, what's coming up for you? 
so today we are selling mostly liability insurance in the US, Israel, uh, Canada. Uh, in the next year, we're going to evolve to new product lines, uh, WorComp and other product lines that e-commerce businesses need. So we're trying to find the best combinations by uh, buying bundles of uh, insurance products uh, for our customers. In addition, expanding to new territories. So EU and UK in 2023, and we're also working on expanding beyond that. This is, I think, one of the, the key lessons that we learned during our, our journey. These businesses are international by nature, right? A seller, like I said, there, there are nuances between the different countries, but a business owner that sits in Tel Aviv or in London or in Madrid, uh, they're doing the same thing, basically. And they're trying to optimize for the same things and they have the same insurance needs. Um, so we're trying to build our product, definitely our technology, to build it to be global and then build layers of insurance products on top of that will support a global offering. So like I said, global offering and adding more and more product lines. Yeah, yeah, super. Um, I mean, I, I could talk about this all day. I, I genuinely find it a fascinating space. I, I, the e-commerce side has got a big soft spot in my heart. Um, I don't talk about it a lot on here, but I used to have an e-commerce fashion business for a long time. And yeah. uh and, I, and I, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it looking at me, but um, <laughs> we, um, I loved it. And I, I think it's a really exciting space and it's such a dynamic space as well. So to start to offer more solutions into that arena um, and insurance being, you know, for the retail businesses, they probably think it's not very exciting, but I think it's very exciting. So I'm fascinated by what you guys do. So thank you so much for spending time with me here. Um, and I really appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. Thank you, Alex. It was my pleasure. Yeah, I will.